in 2002. We're from upstate New. Well, we were, we pioneered a church in upstate New York called River of Life Fellowship, and we were there for 17 or 18 years. And then in 2000, and that church was handed off and is doing great today. In 2002, we came to Roanoke to take over a church that was meeting in the basement of a house, which was an interesting pilgrimage for us. And that church was part of the Grace Network. And so I had the distinction, or I don't know what, of being the pastor who was part of the Grace Network, who became a pastor of New Life, who is now part of One Focus. So I guess I've touched bases with all three, so that's all I'll say about that. But um, it's, it's fun to be, it's fun, it was really great to connect with my old friends at the Grace Network, and great to be part of the One Focus Network. And the thing that attracted us, you say, Jeff, why did you leave that network of churches? I would, I would, and why did you start another one? Is because I saw in One Focus like-minded visionary leadership that didn't want to keep going around the same mountain. Like, have you ever just been in that spot where you just feel like, haven't we been here before? <laughs> haven't we had this discussion before? You know, some of you that are counselors or help people, you know, it's about 45 minutes into the counseling session, and you're looking at your watch, and you're going, we already had this conversation. And after a while, you think, you know, if we're ever going to go somewhere, we actually have to go somewhere. <laughs> and with that in mind, why don't you turn with your, in your Bibles to the book of Mark and chapter 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Mark is a great place to start stories about Jesus. And Jesus is the center of all we do. And in Mark chapter 1, we find this very brief passage of Scripture that describes the calling, the invitation of the first disciples. And um, this message is called the price of change, and we're going to see that the, the price of change is way less than you think it is. It's actually dirt cheap. But let's, let's, let's unpack it a little bit and read Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Father, today we are grateful for your word. And we would confess today that without your word, uh, we don't really have anything. And so, Lord, today we're asking not that we would have an intellectual encounter with the Word. We're open to that. Lord, we're not asking that we would have an emotional encounter with the Word. We're open to that. We want all of that. But, Lord, more than anything, what we want is an encounter with you. Lord, because we know if we're going to change, if there's going to be substantive change, then we need an encounter with you. And so, Jesus, today, we want to be just like these two sets of brothers. We want to just drop what we're doing and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had a few good moments as a father. A few. I've had some bad moments as a father. But I want to share with you today a good moment I had with a, as, a, as a dad. My oldest daughter was about to graduate high school, or had graduated high school. And our family, like many families, was limping along with a various assortment of vehicles 
well, they should have been in the junkyard, but somehow through, you know, prayer and supplication, we kept these vehicles patched together. And our kids would take them to the community college, our kids would take them to work, and, and we just kind of had these different vehicles. And so my daughter announced one day, we're sitting around the table, and she was working at a local restaurant, waiting tables, and she said, I, I'm going to go buy a car. I need a new car. And I'm like, yeah, probably the time has come. She's 19 years old or so. And she, I, she goes, I'm gonna, I want a new Acura. And I said, this is a good moment for me as a dad. Like, and, and, you know, there's Infinity is to Nissan as Lexus is to Toyota. You know, uh, Acura is to Honda. These are luxury vehicles. And in me, what I wanted to say, because I'm a dad, is like, are you crazy? Are you nuts? You can't afford an Acura. You can't make a payment on that. You know, those are $30,000 cars. You know, back in 2004 or so when this conversation took place, that's how much it was. But I had this great moment as a dad, and I said, let's go look. And so we get into the car, we get into our car, um, jump started or something, you know, go down. We go down to the Acura dealership there in Roanoke, Virginia, along Peters Creek Highway, and we pull in, and by some miracle, a salesperson didn't run out. Usually you have about eight seconds before the salesperson's there, you know, and there. And so we're, we're walking along this row and looking at him, and she finds this one, she goes, yeah. And these are, I mean, I got to tell you, even as a non-car guy, I'm like, nice car, you know, slick. You know, you're looking in the window, whatever. And she's, she's looking at it, and she's like, yeah, this, is, this, this has me written all over it. She's walking around. And, and here comes the moment you know is coming. She walks around again, second time around, and this time she stops in the side window. <laughs> and it's got all the, oh, yeah, leather, air, you know, Bose sound system, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then price. And she's a smart kid. And by now, one of the salespeople is making their way like a shark through the seas towards a, you know, <laughs> bloody swimmer. You know, the, 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 the sales, hopefully there's no car salesman here today. Um, <laughs> and she's a smart kid. And you can, I, you can just see the numbers rolling. You know, and she got this look on her face, like, oh, Ooh, like this. And pretty soon we got in the car, we drove around that day looking. Eventually, we, we got her a Honda, Honda made Civic that was a four door manual that she drove for five years and sold for maybe $1,000 less than she bought it for. Like, thank you, Jesus, you know. Some of us have had experiences where we've gone and tried on a piece of clothing. Oh, this fits great. Then you look at the tag and you go, eh, ain't that great. <laughs> you know, that pair of shoes, wow, that's really nice. And you flip over, not that good, right? Well, one of the things about change, about getting into a new place and going to a new place, is that the enemy of our souls is constantly inflating the price of change. Today, I don't want to tell you that change is expensive. I want to tell you that change is cheap. These men, these two sets of brothers, are fishermen, and along the seashore of this big lake, a 13-mile by 8-mile lake known as the Sea of Galilee, they're fishermen. And 
God himself, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, by whom and through whom all things were created, the, all the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form, right? Jesus is walking along the shoreline and says, follow me. And he asks them, or it's incumbent upon the decision, that they're going to give up their careers as fishermen. This is something along the lines of trading Manhattan Island for $26 worth of beads. This is, this is as if we were able to buy that 2004 or 2005 Acura by reaching down into the gravel of that parking lot and handing the salesperson a couple of rocks from the parking lot and driving off with the vehicle paid for. When Jesus invites us to follow him, the price of following him in the light of eternity is nothing. In fact, it's kind of like just chump change. It's like the pennies that you walk across in the parking lot. Because what, what, what are we actually giving up? Well, there's some stuff we give up. And at different times, it seems expensive. I, I don't want to make it sound like it doesn't seem expensive. But, but if there's only one thing, if right now you, you, know, you work till 2 o'clock in the morning last night, and you're about to go to sleep, just hold on one more second. If there's only one thing that you get from this passage of Scripture this morning, get this, is that the enemy of your soul is trying to inflate the real cost of change. That in the light of eternity... It's almost nothing. I like, we know that Jesus had ministered to these guys before. This wasn't the first time. Jesus was not a stranger to these two sets of brothers when he invited them to this intimate following relationship. And they're also probably about the age of my daughter when she was looking at that vehicle. These are like the age of high school seniors, county, uh, community college students. So 18, 19, we often think of the, the apostles as these, as these grizzled old tough guys. These are, young, these are young people. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old. And I do think there's something to be said about the wet cement of youth and following Jesus, that they, they hadn't made decisions and gotten mortgages and you know, started paying on new boats or whatever kind of financing they would have needed that kind of locked them in. So there's no doubt that these four young brothers were in a place where they could absolutely quickly drop everything they were doing. But regardless of our ages, regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstances, there are heart issues. There are issues internal to us where following Jesus is as real today as it was for these under 21-year-old fishermen who were involved in catching these fish that were usually between 8 and 12 inches long, and they're part of the tilapia species. And that's what they fished for. They were out there fishing tilapia. They would put their nets down, then the fish would be smoked or dried, and they would be sold. And this was their business. This is how they, this is how they paid the bills. There's no way that Jesus or the apostles, Andrew, all the, any of the guys, ever got to the end of their life, thought, man, you know, I should have stayed in the fishing business. <laughs> you know, I could have stayed by, I, I think at times, they had some dark thoughts. We'll see that later. Uh, Peter, towards, you know, we'll see that later. Peter goes, I'm going fishing. 
you know, when, when he thought the whole operation was a bust. None of us following Jesus are going to get to a place where we think that was a mistake. It wasn't worth it. I've often wondered about the rich young ruler. And of course, the rich young ruler would have been a peer of these young disciples. He's, he's young, just like the other guys are young. These are 18, 19-year-old men, and they're following Jesus. And here comes this young guy. Hey, what do I got to do to inherit, life, inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically says, be like Peter and Andrew and James and John. Sell everything you have. Leave your, leave your financial interests, your property, and come follow me. And it says what? He hung his head. He owned a lot of property. I wonder what happened to his property. Did it increase in value? And when he died, his kids inherited it. And then the kids, as soon as the old man died, sold the property and bought Ferraris. Although there's only Lamborghinis in the first century. No. Like, like what happened to it? Did, did, was the property confiscated by the Romans? Yeah, probably. And, and that thing that kept him from being one of the guys, one of the twelve, one of these founding members of the Church of Jesus Christ, one, one of the original disciples, was this stuff. And I always wondered, whatever happened to that property? Is it on sale for Craigslist today? I think he probably, I'd like to think that he eventually repented. It became maybe one of the 72 later on or something. Like he finally got it. I'd like to hope that for him. But regardless of that, there are some, there is a price tag. One of the things, if you go to the next slide, please. Listen, here's some things that, that the disciples gave up. And we give, we get to trade three things, at least three things. Self-determination, the familiar, and the predictable. Those are the glass beads and the trinkets of this age. That is the gravel in the parking lot. Today, after the message, if this speaks to your heart, pick up a piece of gravel and say, I could buy a new Mercedes with that in the kingdom of God. This is, this is the gravel. This is the junk. These are the trinkets. This is, these, this, is the, this is the meaningless stuff from eternity's perspective that we get to trade to follow Jesus. Here's the first thing, self-determination. Look what it says here. It, Jesus comes to them, and he says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you. Following always precedes destination, determination, roles, Whatever the thing is that God wants to make you, follow me and I will make you a great dad. Follow me and I'll make you a great wife. Follow me and I'll make you a great school teacher. Whatever that thing is that God has called you to, it is incumbent. It, the first place is we give up the right to self-determination. The first time I ever saw this principle in action was when I was in Bible school. There was a man who was our academic dean. Morris Smith was his name. And God had put it on his heart to do a prayer walk all over New England, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, up around through Maine and back down. He was going to do like this one summer. He was going to walk like five or 600 miles around New England, interceding for revival in New England. And one of the guys that we were in Bible school with was an older guy. He was about 45, 50 years old. And his wife had passed away, and he found himself as a single student at a Bible school with a bunch of kids. Well, he's there, 
And God put it on his heart that he was supposed to go with Dr. Smith and do this prayer walk. So he comes up to, and he's telling this, he came back to the dorm, and this is how I found the story out, was we, he told the story in the dorm. He said, so I went to Dr. Smith, and I said, Dr. Smith, I feel like God has put it on my heart that I'm supposed to go with you. I'm supposed to carry your bags. I'm supposed to be your assistant. I'm supposed to be your helper, whatever that is. And Dr. Smith says, fantastic. I was hoping somebody would come with me. You know, I didn't want to do that all by myself. And okay, I'm in. We're going to leave like on, I think it was about like June 1st or something. We're going to leave on June 1st. And this fellow, he asks him, he says, where are we going? And Dr. Smith, he was pretty pretty tight guy says, why do you care? God told you to go with me. Don't worry about where we go. That's a pretty harsh word. But, but as it, he was kind of taken aback by it. But I was thinking, this is kind of the, the, a, a Jesus kind of response. You know, Peter's like, well, what about John? What happens to John? What's it to you if John lives until I come back? None of your business. Right? This is kind of a Jesus response. And, and I think this is the self, we, we think it's so important for us to have our GPS on. We think it's so important for us to know where we're going. Where are we going? When are we leaving? Jesus is like, it's really none of your concern. Whether we're going to Bethsaida, whether we're going to Jerusalem, it doesn't matter. You guys, come follow me and I'll make you. This is kind of ABC Christianity. We just give up the whole right to self-determination. How many people would like to trade the glass bead, the trinket of self-determination, for following Jesus? We don't get to decide where we go when we follow Jesus. He does not need my help. He may need your help, but I found out he doesn't need my help. <laughs> Jesus himself, Jesus will never ask us to do anything he has not done himself. Isn't it great to have a leader who models all of this? Think about Jesus. I, O oh Lord, have come to do what? Thy will. Jesus goes to the cross. Not my will be done. He's in the garden. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Jesus gives up the right to self-determination to accomplish the will of the Father. I think this is one of the, probably, and I don't want to call it heresy, but one of the dangers in contemporary church today is that we somehow have turned Jesus into a little good luck charm who comes to help us meet our dreams. Jesus has come to help me become whatever it is I dream of becoming. Listen, this is not the call. You know, Jesus came to help me have the biggest fishing fleet on the Sea of Galilee. He could have. But when the disciples signed up, when we sign up as followers of Jesus, we no longer get to call the shots and put the X's on the map where we're going. I have come to do your will, O Lord. Those are the words of Jesus. Isn't it great having a leader who models that kind of relinquishing and release of self-determination? One of the most unpleasant tasks I have as a pastor, and I've had as a pastor, is helping people find where they belong in the body of Christ, when they believe they found it and they haven't. I, I can't sing at all. Like, I, if I sang right now, you would literally leave the room. You would, you would need therapy or something. 
And yet I've pastored churches where people who had voices scarcely better than mine believe they were called to lead worship. That somehow their dream of being on the stage was so powerful that we almost had to pry their dead hands off of the microphone to get them out of there. Can we just, as a people of God, say, Lord, where do you want me to serve? Lord, I don't have any, I'm, I'm giving, Lord, you dream for me. Lord, you've given me gifting. Allow me to find my gifting. Lord, I don't want to bully myself into situations. I don't want to get the approbation of position anymore. I don't want to give that thing. I don't want to give into that. I want to give up. That's, that's for you, Jesus. And so why don't you pray that way? Lord, is there some place where I've been kind of holding on to determining where and when and how I serve? Lord, it's not my ambition. It's your ambition. Another thing these guys, these two sets of brothers gave up was the familiar. It's the next one. It says, become fishers of men. Here's the thing. No one had a job description called fisher of men. This is the first time this ever appears in the history of humanity, like I'm pretty sure if you went on monster.com today and typed in Fisher of Men position, I'm pretty sure it doesn't show up. And so the metaphor was not lost on these guys, but it's pretty clear that they're pretty much clueless their entire three-year odyssey with Jesus, what that really means. Because a little while later, James and John, the, brothers, the sons of Zebedee, and it sounds like they had the biggest fishing fleet or one of the bigger fishing operations on the lake because they've got hired servants and the dad is in the boat and they're mending nets. And so they're, they're doing that thing. A little while later in the, in the Gospels, you guys know your Bible some, right? They're arguing about who's number one. You know, their mom, it says, you, read, you put together the Gospels, their mom comes and says, hey, I want my boys, you know, to be, you know, left hand and right hand. And they're, you know, you read that. They, they, they didn't really get what it means to be a fisher of men. There was something unfamiliar. And so following Jesus today in, in this age requires us not only that we give up the right or the 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 power to say where we're going, it also allows us to go to the unfamiliar. The, the truth is, these guys gave up a pretty lousy job. Think about being married, ladies. Think about being married to a fisherman in the first century. He's been out fishing all night pulling nets in full of fish, gathering the fish, putting them in boxes or crates. There's things called scales and slime. And they've been fishing all night. It's hot work. They strip down, you know, to, to their skivvies, and they're working through the night, and they're sweaty, and they're, they're, they're out there, and they've got fish on them. They've got guts on them, and they've got to clean the fish, and they've got to smoke the fish, and they've got scales, and they've got fish guts. And after that, they come home, and oh, I forgot, there's no Irish spring and soap and water and showers. Hey, baby, how about, you know, my wife, hey, baby, how about a little love? Just got home from work, and it's like, 
you know, kissing Neptune, right? This is, there's, you, you think about, you know, Peter's beard doesn't look like he got it trimmed with the wall shaver. It looks like, well, what's all, he's got scales in his beard. I think sometimes we get so in love with the thing that's familiar to it, even if it's dysfunction, like, I don't want to give up my addiction. It's so great. It's a little bit like the stinking fish business. Like, when I look at the fish business, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd do anything other than fish all night, and, like, you can't even take a shower. Remember I was telling you change is cheap? Yeah, they, they, this was unfamiliar to them. I'm sure they were going to now become the, 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 the followers of this itinerant um, rabbi with a bad reputation. I get it, but... They got to see miracles. God used them to actually do miracles. They, 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 we're talking about them today, you know, 2,000 years later. I have a lot of empathy for Peter. When, I tell you, when, when he thought the whole thing, Jesus died, there's some reports of a resurrection. And Peter's response is, what? What's he say? I'm going fishing. I love that line, by the way. I like to fish. But, he, but his, him going fishing was like, you know, it's been real, but this is over. It was a 36-month experiment. Our leader's dead, crucified in shame, dead, buried. I'm going to go fishing. Maybe I can buy my boat back. Maybe I can work for another fisherman on the lake. And they'll make fun of me a little bit. And, hey, how did that Jesus thing work out? And so he's pretty, you know, I have a lot of empathy. And listen, I, I don't want to be, some of you are at being asked today to make some pretty significant exchanges for what's been familiar to you. It feels like a big deal at the time. But it's really not. I hope you can laugh a little bit. I'm trying to be a little facetious here this morning. I want you to have a little bit, because I think sometimes the enemy puts that, you know, that, that real serious thing, oh, you're going to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard. It's going to suck. It's going to kill you. are going to feel like dirt. You're, you're giving up everything to follow Jesus. And it's like he's inflating the price of change. Think of, so today, you know, hey, I'm giving up the scales, you know. I'm giving up the slime, giving up the fish guts, whatever that thing is that's been familiar those guys gave up. It's interesting that the people of Israel, you know, they, they, get, they get a few, year, a few months into the, the, the exodus. They get to see the sea open up. It's like, sure do miss those leeks. You know, leeks are just fancy onions. You know? Cucumbers, man, I could really go for a cucumber right now. It is kind of funny. We get, we get pretty familiar with that. Jesus, remember we said Jesus models everything. Jesus gave up the familiar he was a carpenter. I'm sure he was a good carpenter. Really good carpenter. Knew his business. Knew how to build tables, chairs, ladders, all those things out of wood. Trades it all in for accomplishing at age 30 the Father's will. He gave it up. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling for that. So look for, try, to, try leaving your comfort zone. Trade, your, trade the glass beads and trinkets of your comfort zone. Amen? What's the last thing they left? They, they, they left the safe. They left, 
Twice in this passage of scripture, you'll see with both brothers, you can underline it, they left. There came a time they left. They actually said, this is the day when I'm actually going to follow Jesus full time. They actually left. If it was me, I would, if I would, like the sons of Zebedee, I could hear myself saying, okay, here, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I want a 12% share of everything that goes on. I'll come back on weekends and work nights to make sure I don't lose my share of the boats and the nets and whatever. You know, I'd be trying to scheme. No, they actually just says, they left. And the reality is, is that following Jesus has real risk to it. It actually does. You may be poorer following Jesus than you were before. But the reality is, Peter has this exact question for Jesus after that encounter with the rich young ruler, right? He said, hey, Jesus, what about us who have left everything to follow you? And Jesus is like, you're going to receive back a hundred times, both in this age and the next. This isn't some, following Jesus is not, of course, a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not some, some way to become powerful and important and get approbation or whatever you're looking for. No, no, we, we get that. But there comes this glorious moment when you actually leave. It says, they left. Isn't it a beautiful, simple, they left. And so it began for them. Fishing, or fishermen... I think they were good raw material for kingdom of God people. Let me tell you why. They understood the unpredictable nature of, of life. Sometimes things can be pretty predictable. You might have an employer or work at a place that's very stable. You know, you work for a school district or you work for a large company, and every day kind of sees the same. These seems the same. These guys understood that some days you catch a bunch of fish, some days you don't catch anything. You know, there's two occasions in the scriptures where they basically didn't catch anything. The first time, Jesus, Peter has this encounter with Jesus, which is kind of funny. He says, hey, cast, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. He goes, we fished all night, didn't catch anything. I'm the fisherman. You're the carpenter. Keep your mouth shut. We don't need your help. Right? Don't you love it when people give you advice that don't know anything about what they're giving advice to? They do it anyway, and what? It gets filled with fish. They, both boats have to come and, and you know, bring it in, and Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, depart from me. It's like, did he want Jesus out of the boat? <laughs> Next time it happens, after Peter says, I'm going fishing, this is a low point in these guys' lives. The man they had followed, the man they had put all of their hopes and dreams in for three years is dead, and they return like a bunch of whooped puppies back to Galilee, tail between their legs. Hey, it looks like the brothers are back fishing. I heard, you know, they follow that. We told them not to follow that rabbi. That's a cult, you know. <laughs> what, what were the neighbors thinking? You know, oh, yeah, you should have been here last year. There was a run of tilapia. You wouldn't have believed. You guys, you know, I don't know what they're, but they're, they're, these guys are low, and they're fishing at night, and they hear a voice from the shore. It's just getting light. It's dark out. Hey, cast your nets on the other side, and all of a sudden, bingo, same thing happened at the beginning, happened at the end of, of their time with Jesus, and the nets are full, and they're like, it's the Lord. And this time, it's not Jesus who asked it. Peter, jump into the lake, the Sea of Galilee, that time of year, sometime in the spring, the water's probably about 60 degrees. It's cold water. He swims to shore. 
Jesus, I am. It's Jesus. Like, all of the things that we dreamed of about here he is on the shore cooking breakfast for his guys. What a glorious time. Here, the sun's coming up. And he says, he's already got some fish. Jesus had already caught some fish. He really didn't know how to fish. He had already caught some fish. And he brings some of their fish, and they're cooking, they're grilling fish. And you can see Peter probably as close to that fire as he can possibly be. And, you know, Peter gets, gets to retake the test that he failed a few, uh, you know, not too much before. Peter, do you love me? Three times. Gets a redo. Aces that test. Goes on to become the premier apostle. Yeah, there's no way. He said, oh, I wish I would have played it safe. I'm glad I didn't play it safe. Yeah, he knew real danger. He knew when that boat was, Jesus was in the boat and the boat was going to sink. These were fishermen. They knew it was going to really sink. They weren't freaking out. They knew. He knew real risk. He knew what it was like to take a risk. But it all came together. It all came together. Jesus risked everything for the kingdom of God. Left his place in heaven. When he's in front of Pontius Pilate, I could call legions of angels right now. We could like, go back. No, he says, you know, he came and risked it all. Risked it all to do what's happening now. The resurrected Son of Man, Son of God. Brother, you want to play a little music? Thanks. I want to confess something to you today. I'm, I'm fishing today. I'm fishing for you today. I'm wondering if there isn't someone here today. You know, if Jesus had a uh, Facebook page, you would have liked it. If Jesus had a podcast, you'd listen to it every week. But the reality is, is you've kind of malingered. You kind of hung back. You've clung to the familiar. God's been speaking to you about giving something up, change of roles, change of jobs, change of emphasis. No, Lord, I'm too familiar with that. Or just put something risky on your heart. When Jesus went to the cross, that crucified as a criminal, all of his family name dishonored, he became a, a, a pariah in the community, crucified. That, that Jesus up there, his parents were, oh, he risked all of that. Didn't play it safe. Maybe it's just that whole self-determination trinket. I call them trinkets. It's like, you know, you can buy, you can go to the dollar store and buy all these glass beads. That's all self-determination is. So today, Pastor, I'm going to turn it over to you. There's someone here, you want prayer. This is a day. Maybe you don't even need to stand up or make a public confession. You already know what it is. Just follow Jesus today. It's worth it. It's worth it.